Hi, Cultural Conversations listeners. Sarah Capisi here. Today on the show, we talk with Dave Pierce over the phone about foreign currency and capital markets. Dave is currently the Managing Director of Global Hedging Products at GPS Capital Markets. In our interview, we discuss why companies should care about foreign currency risk, whether they are a giant multinational corporation or a small domestic company. I'm here with Dave Pierce. Dave, could you please tell me a little bit about where you're from, your career path, and what you do now? Okay. Well, where I'm from is I grew up in a small town in northern Utah called Garland, which nobody's ever heard of. Um, There's only a few hundred people there. And um, it was a small farming community. Both my grandfathers had farms. And um, I... uh, guess I had broader dreams than that in my life and so I um, I ended up um, getting called on an LDS mission to Korea and that really stimulated my interest in international and so as part of my schooling at Utah State um, I was always interested in the international aspects of business and um, that has continued on in my career I've been um, working in the foreign exchange world for over 30 years and helping companies put together hedging strategies, managing their exposures, and you know helping them try to reduce risk of doing business on a global basis. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 30 plus years. Um, I currently work at GPS Capital Markets, a firm that's headquartered in South Jordan, Utah, and we have a dozen offices here in the United States. Uh, an office in London and two in Australia, and uh, I, I manage our global hedging products team there. So that's a brief introduction of me. Great, thank you. So more specifically, what's the nature of your business interactions with different cultures and nations? Well, we have a lot of clients that, all of our clients are either doing business with other countries or our clients are in other countries. So we have a lot of companies that we do business with that are outside of the United States, uh, especially where we have offices in the UK that services the European Union, um, the European market, and then our offices in Australia, which work a lot with the with companies in, in, uh, in the Asian area. So we have to understand not only the differences from a cultural standpoint of how to sell and how to service companies that are uh, have a different cultural background than we do, but also how to deal with employees that come from a different um, you know social background and uh, different uh, different types of, of background. So that's we we actually it, it's a big challenge for the company because we always need to be aware that different people in different parts of the world um, want and expect to be treated differently, and so that's a It's a real key piece of who we are. Yeah. So how would you say, I guess, your approach to working with a company in Asia would be different than here in the U.S.? Um, In the United States, uh, doing business in some ways is fairly simple and straightforward because 
if you call somebody they know you're calling to talk to them about business and they're ready to just jump right in and start talking about business. Whereas if we are dealing in Asia, they are much less straightforward and they want to develop a relationship first and they want to get to know you and know who you are and feel comfortable with you before they even want to start talking business. So relationships are much, much more important in Asia, um, personal relationships in Asia than they, they tend to be here in the United States. We're much more about just jumping in and getting a deal done versus um, building longer term relationships. I see. So how does your approach to foreign currency trading differ between the different countries? And does it differ? Yes, it does differ. And some of that is cultural. And some of that is really regulatory. Um, I'll just give you an example. In the United States, we don't have very many clients that use options for hedging their foreign currency exposures. Most of the foreign currency hedging we do here is done with what's called a forward contract. It's a very simple, basic contract. Whereas in Europe and in Asia, we use more option contracts than we do forwards. And two reasons behind that. The number one, the regulatory reason. From an accounting standpoint, in the United States using US GAAP accounting, it is not nearly as favorable of treatment. Uh, options don't receive nearly as favorable of treatment as forward contracts do. And so it is really difficult to get hedge accounting treatment if you're using option contracts. Whereas if we're uh, in Europe using IFRS, the, the accounting treatment that they can get over there is much simpler and easier to receive. And so it is more favorable for them using options. From a cultural standpoint, um, especially in Asia, um, they are much more willing to look at structures that have upside potential and they're willing to do more structured pro products. And, it's, and some of that is that they're willing to take a little bit of risk for the possibility of having upside on their contracts from a financial standpoint. We're here in the United States, we're more about all we want to do is eliminate risk. We don't look at finance as any type of a profit center or any type of a center that is going to manage our contracts to get any kind of benefit out of them. So there, there's really two sides to it, both the, uh, the regulatory and the um, the cultural differences. Why do you think it is that people in the U.S. are more, I guess, more risk averse, if that's the right word? Well, if you look at Asia, the culture there has always been um, really has more of a gambling background. And they believe a lot in luck and good fortune. And that's really part of the culture there. Whereas America has been more about, if we work hard, we're gonna have success or anybody can succeed. And so it's about, you're gonna earn what you, what you have. There's less luck involved in it. And so that's part of it. But I think that just for years and years and years and years, the 
from a regulatory standpoint, it has been much more difficult to use those kind of structures. And so it's become um, culturally ingrained in the, uh, in the society of finance. So if you go to um, treasury management workshops in the United States, no, hardly anyone is going to teach you about using options and how to do uh, hedge accounting with options and how to, to manage them. It's all going to be more about forward contracts. And so once, you know, once the majority of the people start doing one thing, it just kind of becomes culturally ingrained. And it's really difficult to change people's thought process and how they, they do things because everybody else is not doing it that way. Everybody else is doing it this way. And so I, I think that it just gets, it, it, from a cultural standpoint, it just, you know, it just kind of self-perpetuates. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what are some common things that you've seen that people don't consider when dealing with foreign currency risk? Hmm. Well, uh, when I first started in this 30 years ago, I would tell you that U.S. exporters, people, Americans that are making things here and selling products overseas, probably 95 to 98% of all U.S. companies would only sell in U.S. dollars because they didn't want to, quote, have any currency risk. Right? And it is a real myth that you don't have any currency. For instance, we had a client years ago that was doing business down in Mexico. They were selling a product down in Mexico. They had 90-day terms with their, um, the, the person who was buying their product down in Mexico, and they only sold in U.S. dollars. Well, basically overnight, the Mexican peso devalued by about 50%. And so how much money their supplier owed this U.S. company doubled from a Mexican peso standpoint. And what did the company down in Mexico do? They just didn't pay the bill. And that was $16 million that the U.S. company was out of pocket because their supplier down in Mexico just said, well, we're not going to pay it. So even though they thought they had no risk because they were just billing in U.S. dollars, turns out they really had no risk to the Mexican peso risk of non-delivery because the Mexican peso devalued so much. So I think a lot of people think if they just do business in U.S. dollars, they've eliminated the risk. The other thing is we are living in a much more global society right now. And if you look at who your competitors are, your competitors are not just the, the store next door. It's gonna, it could be anybody anywhere in the world. And as currency rates move and fluctuate, the how competitive you are on a cost standpoint really can change with currency currency rates dramatically and if you have done a poor job of managing your currency rates and just ignore that fact you could lose your competitiveness competitiveness on a global basis very very quickly i'll give you for instance a number of years ago we had a a client that was a u.s winery and the reason they were our client is because they would buy cork for their wine bottles from France. And that was the only thing they did internationally was they would buy cork for the wine bottles. Well, what happened was all of a sudden the euro 
devalued dramatically over about a year and a half, two year period by about 50% again. And all of a sudden, a bottle of French wine that used to be $20 was now $10. And even though this winery made all of their product in California, sold all their product domestically, they ended up going out of business because their French competitors could sell the product for a lot less money than they could produce it in California. And so that was an example of a company that really was not international at all, but they ended up going out of business because of their foreign competitors. So that's kind of, that's one of the kind of things that somebody doesn't really look at. The other thing that um, companies don't look at on, that's very, really common is that they will have you've got a U.S. company that got a foreign subsidiary thing in Germany and the U.S company won't manufacture product. They sell their product to their subsidiary in Germany and then their German subsidiary sells it locally. They don't spend a lot of time looking at the currency exchange rates between them and their foreign subsidiary because they just assume that this is an internal exposure and it's not going to really be impactful to the company as a whole. Well, that sounds good, but in reality, when you have the the ger- you're putting the currency exposure all on, say, the German subsidiary. Once they go and sell their product, and then they've got money left over to send back to the parent, not only for the product, but theoretically you want to have some profit left over as well. It can, it can greatly impact the bottom line of the company. Um, a 4 or 5% movement in currency rates just on the cost of the product can translate into a 20 or 30% change in your net profit at a foreign subsidiary. And so, because usually the cost of the product is the the most expensive part of the product and the, a profit margin is only a small percentage of that. So we see, we see that as a big issue is companies all of a sudden showing, you know, losses on a subsidiary that was having good sales and making good momentum, but just because the exchange rates all of a sudden they become a, a loss center instead of a profit center just because uh, the exchange rates have been against them. Um, that's a lot to consider for a company. Yeah. I guess, so kind of what you're saying is that every company in some way can is affected by this. It really can impact almost any company. And like I said, even if you're not directly dealing in foreign currency, it's a good chance that you could have your business directly impacted, um, even from mainly just from foreign competitors. Yeah. I just read your book because I wanted to learn at least a little bit before I interviewed you or a little bit more. And I noticed there was one part where you talked about a small company that just has operations in the U.S., but they have this risk of imports coming from other countries that might be cheaper here. Mm -hmm. So in that way, even though they're not dealing in foreign currency, they don't even have international operations, they still have to worry about that. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, if if you think about it, you know, there's a lot of industries here in the United States that has really disappeared. I mean, um, when was the last time you bought a piece of clothing that was made in the United States? Have you ever thought about that? You know, you could be a local clothing manufacturer and you'd been making clothing for years and years and years, but now it's so inexpensive to buy clothes from China or Vietnam or other countries that um, 
you know, it's it's almost impossible to have a clothing manufacturing business here in the United States just because foreign competitors are so much less expensive. So has your approach to your hedging strategies changed over time? I know that's a broad question. And how has it changed? <laughs> well, the, the first answer is absolutely it has. Um, and the, the second part of that is why or how has it changed? Some of this changes because of, you know, we talk about changes in um, accounting rules and regulations, and and that that impacts it highly because as accounting rules change, you know, the companies have got to change with them and they've got to be able to adapt. So we've got to be able to provide solutions for customers um, that make it um, palatable for them. You know, when FAS 33 came about, which is ASD 815 now, um, that that created a huge dramatic shift in how people um, were hedging and managing their currency exposure because um, there was a a completely new paradigm put in place um, and people had to really adapt to that. And so understanding the, you know, the accounting can can really make a big difference. so just for instance, um, January 1st of this year, there was a big change where companies that had, that were leasing, uh, and they're leasing in a foreign country, it used to be an off-balance sheet item, and now it has been changed so that is an on-balance sheet item, which means that they might have had a, a big lease of equipment that they were paying for in the foreign currency going out for years. and because it was not a current exposure on their balance sheet, they didn't have to do any mark to markets. There was no FX gains and losses, and it did not impact them from a uh, from an accounting standpoint, from a net profit standpoint of the company. But now, if you have to do, at the end of every accounting period, if you have to do a mark to market on this future foreign payables that you have got, that can have a significant impact on a company's financial statements. And so, just in the last 30 days, we have seen another paradigm shift where companies have to look at a different piece of their financials and determine how to manage that exposure. Hmm. I see. So I don't have any more questions besides what advice would you give to a business person who's planning to work in foreign currency or capital markets? Well, the the foreign currency world is really quite small. There's not a ton of people that um, are involved with this, with this. And so I would tell you that if you are anyway involved in a business, you need to take this as uh, you know something you need to consider because it's it can have a serious impact. If you want to work in the currency world um, and do what I'm doing, there's not that many people that are doing it and you need to be actively, you need to actively engage and, and seek out a career in this because um, there's just not that many opportunities. So you that's something you want to, you know, if that's where you want to have a career in, you know, come talk to us. We have as many FX traders uh, working for GPS capital markets as any other financial institution in the United States. So we've got a lot of job opportunities in this, and it's, it's, a, it's a good job to have. And uh, it's a good career. When you talk about, you know, the capital markets industry in general, there's so many other areas 
that um, there's opportunities in. Um, it, it's a good business to be a part of. I'd much rather be part of a capital markets business than I would be, say, a banking um, environment, being in a banking environment right now because there's been so many regulatory things happen in the banks. It's become more of a compliance department than they have a service department for their customers. So um, that's one of the things that we need to kind of discuss is people need to think about where they're going, what they want, and how to get there because um, it's not always that clear. But I would just say, you know, go talk to somebody that's doing what you think you might want to do and look at the positives and the negatives of it because the world's changing very quickly and something that's a good career today may not be a great career, you know, five years from now. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Dave Pierce. Next week, we'll talk with Matt Jensen about international accounting. For more information about global business and culture, visit www.internationalhub.org and be sure to subscribe to our podcast.